Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. We're going to go to John chapter 8. I'll give you a moment to turn there in your Bibles. But I also want to read our our syllabus for today. Our syllabus as we talk about righteousness and grace says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's a reference to Romans chapter 3. The righteousness Paul speaks of is specifically of God. It is obtained by faith in Jesus. His freely given grace enables all of us who have sinned to be made righteous only through redemption in Christ rather than our own good deeds, even if they are according to the law. Now let's jump over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, starting in verse 2. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all of the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, notice they didn't call him Messiah, they didn't call him Lord, Teacher, This woman was caught in adultery in the very act, a.k.a. we saw her committing adultery. Red flag. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when he continued asking, when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Notice she didn't say teacher. No one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. And it continues to go on. Why don't you put your Bibles down? Let's raise our hands together. There's such a sweet presence of God in this place, a a spirit of surrender. So let's just focus our minds on God right now. Dear Lord, I pray that you would anoint this word. Help it not to be my words, Lord. I am not smart enough. I am not eloquent enough. I am not uh, catchy or memorable enough to do this justice, Lord. But you would anoint this word, that you would speak to us right now, that your word would have power, God, that your people would be able to receive. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds. Your servants are listening. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody give God a good amen today. You can go ahead and have a seat today. 
I want to talk to you about righteousness and grace, righteousness and grace. And if you want a, t- a subtitle for today, you can write this down, bad people, good God, bad people, good God. I always think of James Brown when I say that, good God. Two people got it. I want to kind of back up for a moment and give you some context of what's going on in this passage in John chapter 8. Jesus is teaching in the temple, which is very common for him. He would go in and begin to teach about the gospel of the kingdom. And the scribes and the Pharisees do not like Jesus. If you've ever read through the gospel stories, you can tell there's this kind of uh, figure known as the Pharisees or the scribes and Pharisees. Obviously, it's not always the same people, but it is a group of people that are constantly trying to trap Jesus. They don't like Jesus because Jesus is teaching that he's the Messiah, and they don't believe that he's the Messiah. Even today, Jewish people do not believe that Jesus was or is the Messiah. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come. And you have to understand the context because if the Jewish people were ruling on their own, they would have been able to arrest Jesus. They would have been able to execute Jesus. But at this day and time, the Jewish people are living under Roman occupation. And so they do not have the authority that they once had because now they're living under the rule of Caesar and the Romans. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to come up with a trap where Jesus will either say something against the Romans or say something against Caesar or say something against the law of God to where they can bring him and accuse him in front of the Romans and then the Romans will do the dirty work. That's what they're trying to accomplish here. So as you read throughout the Gospels, you'll hear, see things where uh, the, the Pharisees will come to Jesus and they'll say, Jesus, should we pay our taxes to Caesar? And what they're trying to get him, they don't actually care about the answer. They're not genuinely asking that. What they're trying to do is trap him and get him to say, no, you don't have to pay your taxes. And then they'd run over to the Romans and say, hey, this guy's saying you don't have to pay your taxes. You should arrest him and you should execute him because that's what we want. They're trying to trap Jesus. And so they come up with this plot of we're going to find an an adulterous woman. We're going to find a woman caught in sexual sin. We're going to find uh, this woman and we're going to take her and present her to Jesus. And there's going to be a couple outcomes that could happen, but there's no way Jesus is going to wiggle out of this one, right? Like he's wiggled out of the other situations, but either one, he's going to say that he's Uh, that he forgives her of sins and then we're going to accuse him that he's going to lose all of his credibility because we're going to say, how can you forgive people of sins? You're not God. You're not the Messiah. Or he's going to say that we should stone her and they know that according to Roman law, they don't actually have the ability to stone her. And so they're going to say, hey, this Jesus guy is trying to stone somebody. You guys should arrest him. So they're trying to put Jesus in this trap and they decide they're going to select this woman and bring her before Jesus. Now, They are correct that according to Levitical law, according to the Old Testament, someone caught in the act of adultery, the punishment for that sin, the punishment for that crime is stoning. The little part that they seem to have left out is that the stoning is supposed to be for both the woman and the man that are involved. So it's very interesting, kind of a red flag. Where's the man in this situation? Because they said they caught, him, they caught her in the very act of adultery. Just put it this way. It takes two to tango. I see one. Where's two? And if we dig a little deeper, 
Some theologians, some historians believe the man that she was committing adultery with may have been in the very group that was now accusing her and trying to stone her. Because even though these scribes and Pharisees were righteous on the outside, even though they had the robes, even though they were in the temple, even though they had all the right things to say and they were posting all the right things and posting about their Bible reading time and talking about how they were going to church all the time. Come on, somebody, let's bring it into 2024. Even though they were doing all these things, it was, commonly, it was common knowledge that many of them were going to prostitutes and sleeping with women that they were not married to. So what they decided to do was, let's just set up one of our boys and we'll know when it's happening, the time and place, and then we can go get this woman and we can bring her to Jesus and see what Jesus is going to do. What are you going to say about this woman, Jesus? Are you going to stone her? Is she a sinner? Who is, who's in the wrong right here? What, what are you going to say, Jesus? And as we look at this story, we have to ask ourselves, who is the bad person in this story? And it reveals to us really how we look at the grace of God. Because there's really three characters. There's Jesus, there's the woman, and then we'll call the scribes and Pharisees as a character together. And you could look at this story two different ways. I know many of us would immediately jump and say, well, the woman was caught in sin. She was caught in adultery, so she's the bad person. You have to understand that this picture uh, would, have been, would have been a very scary situation for her. They would have been very rough with her. Uh, she would have been very exposed. This would have been the worst moment of her life. This would have been as if getting your, your biggest worst sin exposed on the front page of the newspaper or on the front page of someone's for you page on TikTok or Instagram. Like this is a bad day for her. Like is she the bad person because she sinned? Or you can flip it around and say, well, the scribes and the Pharisees are the bad people because the scribes and the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus they're trying to set this woman up. Uh, they're, they're trying to accuse her. She was really just living her life. She was just really doing what was good for her. Really, she wasn't hurting anybody, right? Like she wasn't doing anything wrong, right? It was just her. It was between her and her, her and him. What, what happens in secret isn't really that big of a deal, right? And I think what we think about those situations, our gut reaction of what side we would take reveals how we view the grace of God. Because some of us, we think it's our job to condemn people. Oh, can we get real for a second? Many people think it's the church's job to tell people whether they're going to heaven or going to hell. We think it's our job. Hey, I caught you. I got you. I saw what you did. I saw you coming out of that establishment. I saw what you text them. I saw what you, I got you. Now let's expose you. We think it's our job to expose people. We think it's our job. And, and what this lends itself to is self-righteousness. We, we become the modern-day Pharisees where we say, well, you know, it's not as bad as what we did. Isn't it interesting how we seem to be the measuring mark of what is good and what is bad? I don't know about you, but God never said, hey, Alex, you are now the benchmark. Whatever you do is okay, but if they go past what you do, then they're the really bad people. No, no, we're not the benchmark. Jesus is the benchmark. 
but we get in this judging game. Or the flip side is we see the, the grace of God as, well, God's grace allows us to do whatever we want to do. And so as long as we keep it in private and as long as we don't hurt anybody and as long as we just do it behind closed doors, that's fine. God, God's good with it. It's all fine. And both are misinterpretations. Both are twisting the scripture. Both are what I would call a perversion of the scripture where we try to twist God's grace, twist God's word to fit what we feel comfortable with. Instead of allowing God's word to change us, we change God's word to make us feel comfortable. Because here's the big reveal. If you haven't gotten it already, they're all bad people. All of them are bad. All of us are bad outside of Jesus, outside of the grace of God. So in this story, as everybody's making accusations, really the only one that has the right to make an accusation is Jesus, and he doesn't even make an accusation. So we, who is the bad person? Who is the bad person? This is what Romans chapter 3 tells us. There's no one righteous, no, not one. This is, a, this is a very encouraging sermon, Pastor. Thank you so Just loving it. I just feel really good. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to get there. But all of them but Jesus were bad people. Because this is what, again, Romans 6 tells us. For the wages of sin is death. She did sin. The Pharisees has sinned as well. All of them technically deserved death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, that is the good news. We won't know the good news until we first accept the bad news. The bad news is that we're messed up, we're broken, we're sinners, we can't figure it out on our own. The wages of sin is death, but the good news is that Jesus already came down to earth, that he lived a sinless life, a perfect life, that he went to the cross, that he died the death that we were supposed to die. He went into the grave, he went down to death, hell, and the grave, took back the keys from Satan, resurrected resurrected, ascended into heaven, is now making intercession for us. The good news is that because of God, we can now become good. Not because of our own works, not because we find all the other bad people and say, well, they're bad, I'm good because I'm not as bad as them. That's not what makes us righteous. What makes us righteous isn't saying, well, my sin isn't as bad as theirs. Well, at least I didn't get caught. No, no, no. We're all on the same playing field outside of Jesus. We all have to come to Jesus. If we're honest with ourselves, all of us are the woman that are caught in adultery. All of us are standing before a God where we are naked and we are embarrassed and we're saying, God, I don't even know how I ended up here and I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation and I'm kind of speechless right now. She didn't even try to make her case because she knew she was caught. She, she thought there was no way out, but the grace of God, the mercy of God came in and said, woman, where are your accusers? 
I want to encourage somebody right now. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser. He is the accuser of the brethren. And you have been being accused of some things that you've already repented of. You've already gotten forgiveness for. You've already walked away from that lifestyle. And Satan keeps accusing you. And God wants to remind you, where are your accusers? I have already covered you. I have already washed you. Your accusers are gone. Now go and sin no more. It's the grace of God, God's righteousness, God's righteousness. I have a little acronym. I want you to remember what grace means. We have it on the screen. Grace is God's righteousness at Christ's expense. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. The wages of sin is death. And we talk about this when it comes to eternity, and we believe that eternity is real. We believe that you are either going to be with God or you are not going to be in God with God, that you're going to be in paradise or you are going to be separated from God in hell. We believe that. But what we also have to talk about is there is a lot of sin that leads to death here on earth. There's a lot of sin that leads to death of relationships. There's a lot of sin that leads to the death of your career. There's a lot of sin that leads to the death of your marriage. There's a lot of sin that leads to the death of you being a parent to your children. The wages of sin is death. That's, that's how we live. That's our, that's our natural progression. We always lean towards that. There's no neutral ground. You're either seeking God, you are chasing after righteousness, or you are being pulled into the wages of sin, which is death. And if we could earn the righteousness on our own, wouldn't we have done it already? Come on, you're 25 years old. You're 35. You're 75 years old. If you could have earned righteousness on your own, if you could have perfected yourself on your own, if you could have gotten it all together on your own, don't you think you would have done it by now? Don't you think you would have figured it out by now? When are we going to lay down our pride and understand that I cannot get my righteousness at my own expense? I can only get righteousness through Christ, through what he did on the cross. Come on, it's the grace of God. Another way to put grace is grace is God's unmerited favor towards man. Grace is God's unmerited favor towards man that you can't earn it, that you don't deserve it, but God gave it to you anyways. Come on. God loved you so much that while you were still a sinner, he wrapped himself in earthly clothes. He wrapped himself in a baby that he lived a sinless life. Come on. He had calluses on his hands. Can you imagine the God of the universe having to wake up early and go work with his father in the wood shop as a carpenter and having calluses on his hands and sweat and him knowing I created this whole universe and I'm willing to go through this pain. I'm willing to have a crown of thorns on my head. I'm willing to be beaten, be bruised. I'm willing to do all that because I love you so much. We couldn't earn it. We don't deserve it, but he gave it to us anyways. And we have to understand that we cannot earn it, but I want you to understand also that, that there is a difference between mercy and grace. We use the word grace uh, kind of as a, as a coverall for a lot of different things, similar to how we use love the, the, the Greek words for love are, are, in many other languages, there's different versions of love. But in America, and in, in English, we just say love. So we say, I love tacos, and we say, I love my wife. Obviously, those things are not on the same level. 
I'm not willing to sacrifice for tacos. I'm not willing to lay my life down for tacos, but I am willing to do those things for my wife. And so we use grace, but I don't know if we fully understand it. And so I have a little, again, a little definition for you, the difference between mercy and grace, because God gives us both. He gives us mercy, but a lot of times we think, we basically think that grace is mercy and that it's only mercy when there's more to it than that. So here's what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Let me put it to you this way. Say you're driving down the street here in Victoria because we seem to have 4,000 school zones. Every street is a school zone. Say you're driving down the street and you speed through a school zone. You commit a crime. You commit an infraction. And the police officer pulls you over. They're doing their job. Come on, can we give a shout out to all of our police officers, our first responders? We have many here in our church family. They're doing their job. They pull you over. And when they pull you over, they realize that you don't have a driver's license and you don't have a registration and you don't have insurance and your tires are bald and your check engine's lights on and you're not wearing your seatbelt and you were also texting and you is going to jail. That's basically what they find out. You are done. You, it is over with. Mercy is the police officer saying, hey, looks like you're going through a tough time, looks like you're having a bad day, it, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm gonna be merciful today and I'm gonna let you go. That's mercy. Grace is that same police officer coming and saying, hey, I know you don't have a registration, you don't have insurance, you don't have a driver's license, you don't you got tires on your car, you got a check engine light going on, you hadn't changed the oil in 14,000 miles. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm not going to arrest you. What I'm actually going to do is I'm going to contact my friend that owns an insurance agency, and I'm going to pay for the first six months of you having your car insurance. And then also, I'm going to give you a ride so that you're legal. I'm going to give you a ride to the DMV, and we're going to get your license figured out. And then I'm, after that, I'm going to take you to the dealership, and I'm going to actually get you a brand new car. We're going to get your registration set up. We're going to make sure your tire's okay, the engine oil's okay. I'm going to do all that for you. Even though you broke the law, even though you're in the wrong, I'm going to give you something that you don't deserve. I'm going to give you something that you couldn't do on your own. Mercy is letting you go saying, hey, figure it out, buddy. Grace is saying, hey, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to also make sure this doesn't happen again. I'm going to make sure you don't stay stuck in this cycle. Some of you need to realize that the cross was merciful, that it forgave you of your sins, but the grace of God is now the power to not stay stuck in that cycle, that cycle of sin, that cycle of addiction, that cycle of brokenness. Grace says you're forgiven. Now go and sin no more. We're thankful for God's mercy, but I'm so thankful for God's grace. I'm so thankful that I don't just have to keep driving in that same old beat up car and wondering when the next bad thing's gonna happen and wondering if the next person's gonna pull me over. No, no, no. I'm saying by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I have now been empowered to overcome and live the life that I could never live on my own. That's the grace of God. So that's what happens in John chapter 8 where Jesus says, where are your accusers? 
They all walked away because they all knew they were living in sin. It says the oldest walked away first because in that cultural, a, a culture of honor, they wanted to make sure that the elders got to go, that they weren't the last ones there. So they let all the elders go first and then down to the youngest, and eventually they drop their stone and they walk away. Because they weren't actually there about sin. They were just trying to trap Jesus. They were just trying to do a, hey, we got you. Gotcha, you misspoke, gotcha. They didn't actually care about forgiveness, about mercy. They didn't care about these things. It was just a trick. In our lives, do we actually care about God's grace for people and lives being changed? Or are we just trying to have someone else that can be the scapegoat and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. And I'll be good. My conscience will be okay as long as I can find somebody that's worse than me, then I'll be okay. Or are we saying, no, I care about people. I care about where people spend eternity. I care about people's life here on earth. I want to make sure they experience the grace of God. I want to bring them to Jesus, not to accuse them, but so that they can be acquitted of their sins, so that they can be forgiven, so that they can be made righteous. Are we using Jesus as an instrument to beat people over the head and accuse people and condemn people? Or are we saying, no, we're going to take people to Jesus and realize that we are not judge and executioner. We don't bring condemnation, but we allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to people. Come on, the Holy Spirit begins to stir up inside of us. Condemnation is saying how bad you are. Conviction is saying how good God is. That God is so good to us. He's so gracious. He's so merciful. Don't you want to change because of how good he is? So that is grace. And I want to, I want to show you some different aspects of grace, some different facets of grace. Because we know like a precious stone, as you begin to turn it in the light, there's different ways it can sparkle. There's different ways that it can shine. And grace is a concept that you could spend your entire life trying to understand and figure out. I can't make it all fit in a 40-minute sermon, but I want to give you a few different ways that it shines and shows us. The first way that we can understand grace is saving grace. Saving grace. And this is what many of us probably, are, our first introduction to the grace of God is saving grace. Go to Romans chapter 3 verse 21 and as you're turning there, I'm going to read a lot of Paul's writings today. And Paul was actually known as the apostle of grace. The reason he was known as the apostle of grace is because he almost opens every letter that he writes with peace and grace be upon you. Grace and peace be upon you. Grace to you. Grace to the brethren. Grace to the people. Always sharing grace. And I think the reason he was known as the apostle of grace is because he knew that he needed it more than anyone. Paul even calls himself the chiefest of sinners. But Paul was a pretty good guy, right? If we look back at Paul's track record... Paul, first of all, was, was called a Pharisee of Pharisees. It would be a similar to having a, a Ph.D. or a doctorate degree in theology and in doctrine. He was studied. He would have had the Old Testament memorized, the Torah memorized. He studied under one of the highest, most well-known rabbis of the day. All the other preachers, all the other rabbis stole their sermons from this rabbi. Like, that's how it was. That's who he studied under. 
Not only was he educated in religion, he was also educated in the business world. He was self-employed. He had a tanning business, a leather business, where he would build tents and travel and provide for himself. Not only that, he was also politically educated. He was a Roman citizen. And if you don't understand the time and the day, you, did not just, you weren't just born into citizenship. It wasn't just something you got because you lived under Rome. It was something you had to earn. You had to pay for. It was an exclusive club. There were things that you had to meet. And so he had a pretty well-rounded, like pretty good guy, right? But we also know that he was sent by the Pharisees to hunt down followers of the way, as they were called at the time, or now what we know as Christians. That he oversaw the execution of many of his brothers and sisters in Christ. The very same people that he is in heaven with, he oversaw their execution. It's a picture of the grace of God. The grace of God is that one day when we get to heaven, the people that we wronged, the people that we hurt, we're going to be worshiping the same God and they're going to be welcoming us in and saying, even though you hurt me, even though you came against me, Paul, even though you oversaw my execution, I'm so glad that you gave your life to Jesus. I'm so glad that we get to spend eternity together. So he was the apostle of grace. And this is what he says in Romans chapter 3. Now righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference whether you're good or bad in man's eyes, whether you're educated or not, whether you're from this country or that country, whether you speak this language or that country, there's no difference All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we are justified freely by His grace through the redemption in Christ Jesus. It's saving grace. You are not saved by your works. You cannot work yourself into being righteous. Let me just speak to the men in the room. I know there's many men that we feel like we have to hold it all together. We have to figure it all out on our own. I've got to take care of my family. I've got to take care of my employees. I've got to take care of my friends. I've got to make it happen. I've got to figure it out. And we can sometimes allow that, even though that is a very noble and true thing, we allow that to seep into our relationship with God. And we start to have this idea of I've got to figure it all out. I've got, and we can develop a pride that we earned, well, I did this for God, and I did that for God, and I served, and I read my Bible, and, and I invited this person, and I witnessed to this person. Incredible. Those are all amazing things, but that is not what makes you righteous. Can I go as far to say that there are some people that can come to church and can lift their hands and even quote scriptures, but because they have not freely entered into the grace of God, they have not been made righteous and are not saved? I know that messes with our theology a little bit, but the scriptures say the Pharisees knew the law. They knew the scripture, but they missed the Messiah. They missed that Jesus was right in front of them. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm any better than them. I think I could get tripped up in the same thing of, well, I'm I'm doing the law right, I'm doing the things right, but are you missing the Son? Are you missing the Messiah? Are you missing your Savior? You can know scriptures, but not know the Savior. It's all right. It's tight, but it's right. I know. (laughs) Saving grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says this. For by grace 
I'm sorry, did that say by, by, your, by your good works? By your Bible reading plan? By grace, you have been saved through faith. Just a little, I want to remind you again, not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Romans 5 repeats this. But more than that, we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, God knew that we're competitive. Anybody competitive in the place today? Y'all lying. Nobody raise their hand. Y'all lying in the church house. I figured somebody would shoot it up real quick because it's like competitive people. I want to be the first one up. God knew that if he gave us a list, if there was just, okay, you got to check off these 13 things. It's in the back of the book. Somebody would be like, hey, it took you three months. I got it done in 15 days. 15 days flat, I earned my salvation. And then somebody else would come on, 15 days? Bro, I did it in seven days. I, I was spending all night. God knew that we would boast in ourselves. He knew that we would try to make it about us. Saying, no, 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 I can't be saved outside of Christ Jesus. So the first facet is our saving grace. The next one is strengthening grace. Strengthening grace. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another. Just throwing that out there. You cannot be seeking the lust of the flesh and seeking the Spirit at the same time. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let me just make it very simple, very plain for you. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. Jesus told the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. Now this is complicated for us to understand because we know that as individuals we will fall. That none of us will be fully perfect until we are perfected in eternity with God. But just like the Pharisees and just like the woman, people usually fall on two spectrums of this. You have people that get real self-righteous and they always go back to thinking it's their good works that keeps them saved. And they're always worried, did I do enough? Did I pray enough? Did I do this? And, and, and you can do that from a good place, but I'm not talking about doing it from a good place. I'm talking about doing it from a place where you are trying to show God how good you are. And God's like, that's not the point. So we get self-righteous, and this is where you start seeing people condemn others and cast others down and talk about how messed up other people are. Or we go to the flip side, and we just think that, well, I have no part to play. So either I have all the part to play, it's all on me, or it doesn't matter what I do. Grace is going to cover it. It's all good. There's people even in the past that have said, if I don't sin, then God's grace is for nothing. God's grace, God's going to cover it. If that's your mindset, I genuinely question whether you've encountered the true grace of God. 
And I'm not here to condemn. I, I don't know your relationship with God. But if you go into sin with a mindset of God, is grace is going to cover it no matter, it's all good. I wonder if you've truly encountered him before. I wonder if you're truly seeking after the spirit. Because we would never do this in any other area of life. How many of you have made a mistake on your job before? You made a mistake at work before? Okay, being a little bit, little bit more honest than the 830 service, okay? 830 service, I was like, y'all are all perfect employees. I'm going to hire y'all. I've made mistakes at work before, and thankfully I have an incredible boss, and he was just like, hey, make sure it doesn't happen again. And those of you that are managers and directors, maybe you have to give someone some training. You have to explain things to people. Hey, let's go over our systems again. But imagine if your boss did that, and he just said, he forgave me. She forgave me. I'm good. I'm going to show up late. I'm going to leave early. I'm not going to check any of my emails. I'm not going to make any phone calls. I'm not going to go service anybody's house. I'm good. He forgave me. Of course we wouldn't do that. But why do we enter into our relationship with God when God has been so merciful to us, so gracious to us, and we take advantage of his grace and say, well, I can just do whatever I want to do now. Let me give you a few scriptures. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Paul knew that we were going to be struggling with this. They were struggling with it. Even the early Christians were struggling with this. I know we look around our world today and we're like, man, it's so bad. It's never been this bad before. I don't know. I wasn't living in any other time, but I know the Bible times were pretty messed up. Paul had to write a letter to a church because there were people openly sleeping with members of their family. And the church was okay with it. And so Paul had to write a letter and say, hey, let's stop that. That's not what I was talking about. Our last sermon series on relationships, I guess you took off that week. I guess you did not hear that one. So he knew that people were going to use grace as a license to continue living a sinful lifestyle. And this is what he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. I'm going to take that completely out of context, and I'm going to say where there's more sin, that just means there's more grace, baby. I'm just living in God's grace. Come on, I can do whatever I want because I don't actually read my Bible, and I don't actually, I'm just going to take this one verse and not read the rest. Because if you read the rest, it says, what then? This is chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly Not. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Who are you submitting yourself to? The Bible tells us that we can't serve two masters. We can't be seeking after the flesh. We can't be seeking after the lust of this life and seeking after righteousness. The way you know if you are truly living in God's grace is if you have truly stepped into the grace of God, you will be walking towards righteousness, not walking towards more sin. Grace leads you to righteousness, not sin. And now I know some of you are wondering, like, I thought I was righteous, though. Let me put it to you this way. Pastor Caleb, who you all know and love, one of our pastors here recently got his real estate license and is now a real estate agent, a realtor. 
And he put a lot of work into that. And I don't know when he finds the time to do it because he does 400 other things around the church and other businesses. But he is a real estate agent. But he's going to spend the rest of his career working towards becoming a better real estate agent. So he is a real estate agent, but he's also becoming a real estate agent. He's also learning more. He's also growing more. He's not going to get the license and say, well, I got my license. I got my card. I got my certificate. I'm going to put up on the wall. I'm never going to study about real estate again. I'm never going to talk about real estate again. I'm never going to check the interest rates again. I'm never going to market my business again. I'm a real estate agent. You're going to be a broke real estate agent. And I know that's, maybe that breaks down after a little bit, but that's a good illustration to look that we are righteous, but we are also walking towards righteousness. We can also learn more about the grace of God. We can also learn more about his mercies, about the word, that we can become righteous by seeking after him. Is grace leading you towards sin or is it leading you towards righteousness? Worship team, you guys can join me, please. A.W. Tozer said this, and if you don't know who A.W. Tozer is, look him up. Some incredible books and sermons that you can read. He said, abounding sin is the terror of the world. But abounding grace is the hope of mankind. Abounding sin is the terror of the world. All the things that are happening in the world today are a result of sin. It's the result of hatred. It's the result of pride. It's the result of sexual sin. It's the result of lust. All these horrible things that are happening around us are a result of sin. So when we look at the world, we have to understand this isn't because they're just bad people and we hate them and we hate that. No, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities. This is a sin issue, but we already have the solution. That even though we are living in the middle of chaos and even though we're living in the middle of all these atrocities happening, we have the answer. We have the solution. And it is the fact that the grace of God abounds. I don't know about you, but I just believe that as the world gets darker, that the light of the gospel is going to get stronger. That the church is going to get stronger. Come on, that believers are going to get stronger. Ephesians tells us that God is coming back for a glorious church. He is not coming for a church that's just skimping by, a church that's just hanging on. No, as the world gets darker, the church is going to get stronger. We are a city on a hill. We are a candle that not, cannot be hidden, that the grace of God abounds even more. And this is what gives us strength to overcome sin. This is what gives us strength that Corinthians tells us that when temptation comes into our life, that God will be faithful to provide us a way of escape. This is the grace of God that when you get in yourself into a situation that used to be, you, you wouldn't know how to figure it out. You'd be trapped. God saying, no, by my grace, I'm going to take you out of that situation. By my grace, I'm going to help you do something you could never do on your own. By my grace, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have people that are going to forgive you. I'm going to have people that are going to reconcile with you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to make you whole by my grace. Something you couldn't do on your own. In between services, 
some, the pastors and I, we were talking about the, the, the epidemic that is happening among our young people uh, with, with opioids, with, with fentanyl, with all these different things that when I was in high school, you smoke weed, you, you maybe do a little cocaine if you're really out there, but now these young children are doing these, these hard, hard drugs. And we were talking about how we need to help them and how we need to minister to them. But I, I was also encouraged by one of my close friends who has a testimony that he was actually selling these things out of his apartment and, and he, was, he was running drugs and guns and all these different things and he was a pastor's kid he knew about God but he thought he was too far gone he said I got to figure this out on my own I got to clean myself up on my own and God spoke to him in that dark night and said if you don't come to me if you don't enter into my grace in six months you're either going to be dead or in jail in that moment he sobered and he never had a craving for those drugs again he never had a craving for those things again he flushed it down the toilet he got all rid of all his weapons. Six months later, he was in full-time ministry. He couldn't have done that on his own. He didn't have the strength on his own. He had been to rehab. He had been to all these things. He had been to mental institutions where they got them all dried out and sobered up, and he went right back to it. But the strength of God, the grace of God is that I'm going to pull you out of that. Come on, woman that's caught in the act of adultery, that's in the mud and in the dust, and you're exposed to everybody. I'm going to pull you out of that. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to forgive you. But I'm also going to send you out with the strength to overcome. It's the grace of God. The next one is the sufficient grace of God. The sufficient grace of God. I know this. I know that even though I am a believer and even though I have been baptized in the Spirit and even though I pray and fast and I do all the things that I can do in my own, I know that as a human, I am still deficient in some areas. I know that I am still broken in some areas. That maybe God will one day heal me, but now I'm broken in that area. Have issues that I've struggled with, not sin issues, but, but health issues, things that have ravaged my mind for years that I pray, God, would you please take this away? I wish you could take this away, God, but, but he doesn't. And Paul had the same issue. Paul said, he prayed to God three times, God, I have a thorn in my side. Some theologians say that would be a physical issue. Some say it would be a temptation or a sin issue. He prayed three times, God, would you please take this away? But as far as we know, he never got deliverance. But God answered him. In 2 Corinthians, God said this, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, where you are deficient, I am sufficient. Alex, where you are deficient, I am sufficient. Raymond, where you are deficient, I am sufficient. Brooklyn, where you are deficient, I am sufficient. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of God may rest on me. Can we stand together right now? Come on, could it be that the reason that you have not entered into the grace of God is because you have not humbled yourself enough to say that I am deficient and I would rather boast about how good God is than how good I am. 
I'll be honest with you, I am horrible with finances. I am, I don't understand. I get, I get physical anxiety when it comes to finances and paying bills. I know I'm deficient in it, but God is sufficient. God always makes a way where there seems to be no way. God always comes in when we need it. He's always on time. He's never early. He's never late. He's an on-time God. I'll be honest with you, I've been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, ADHD. My mind rages war against me sometimes. I am deficient. I struggle, but I know that in my deficiencies, God is sufficient. There's so many times on my job where I have to do something. I have to make a decision and my mind is raging war against me. And I have to say, God, I know I'm saved. I know I'm healed. But by your grace, I need your sufficient grace right now. I need you to step in and do what I can't do. And the way we do that is by humbling ourselves. And as our team comes, I want you to begin right now to put ourselves in a posture of humility. James tells us that he gives more grace. God gives more grace. Not more grace for your salvation. That's already been taken care of once and or for all time. But maybe you need more grace for today. But it says God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. We're about to sing a song about pouring oil out. And I didn't know they were going to sing this song today. But as we talk about the woman caught in adultery, some theologians believe that that woman is Mary Magdalene. The story that we're singing about is about a woman that came to Jesus and poured her oil. This would have been, without being crass, this would have been the oil that prostitutes used to make themselves clean after they had an appointment for their next appointment. I know that's very crass, but it's reality. And that was the woman that came to Jesus and said, you know my worst mistake, Jesus. You know how bad I've been, Jesus, but I'm gonna come pour it all out on you. I'm gonna give you everything I have, God. I'm gonna pour out all I have. I'm gonna say that you are Lord of my life. I'm not looking for another man to fulfill me. I'm not looking for sin to fulfill me, God, but I am saying that you are my master. God, you are my savior. And so right now, as we begin to worship, every hand lifted in this place, come on, you maybe need God's saving grace. Right now, you need to step into God's saving grace. You are a bad person, but you can be made righteous through Christ. And here's the thing, when you are made righteous, you're no longer a bad person that got good. You are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Maybe you got, need God's strength to overcome temptation right now. Some of you need to delete a number. You need to flush some things. You need to break up with someone. You've been trying to do it, Pastor. I've been trying for weeks now. You need God's grace. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to give you strength. Come on, step into that strength right now. Come on, some of you need new grace for tomorrow. You need grace to be a husband. You need grace to be a wife. You need grace to be a husband, a, a, a father, a, 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 a mother, to be a child. Come on, you need a grace on your job. Come on, accept his grace today. Come on, his mercies are new every morning.
you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.